0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets.
1: Where it's time to celebrate, we are in the heart of summer. Uh, I think we're right at smack dab in the middle of it right now. And there's nothing more that represents summer than marshmallows. And at Zupan's now, they have a full variety. Wait a second until we read off what these uh, these different varieties of marshmallows are from Creekside Mallow Company. Uh, They're small batch handcrafted gourmet marshmallows. You can elevate your s'mores experience with these uniquely flavored mallows. It's family owned and operated and uh, they're created in Idaho in small batches and poured, cut and packaged by hand. So they have huckleberry, which is going to be anybody's favorite, right? Mm There's nothing better than huckleberries from that part of the world. Birthday cake, toasted coconut, salted caramel, and vanilla. That's that. That I would hope provides the impetus for people to run to zoopans right now.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of the various things you need. Uh, you know, marshmallows for, and there's two obvious ones. Obviously, s'mores. If you're gathering around a uh, a, a campfire and you want to do s'mores, this is definitely a great way to up your game. And then maybe if you're doing some hot cocoa, uh, you could throw some of this stuff in and make your co- cocoa huckleberry flavored, which just sounds delicious right now. Or uh,
1: birthday cake flavored.
0: Oh yeah. You can't go wrong there. Uh, and the packaging by the way is gorgeous. I was in Zupans over the weekend and actually saw these in, in the uh, um, aisle and I was like, Oh, I should buy some of these uh, while you're at your local zoo pans. Don't miss out on Oregon star tomatoes. Uh, summer's favorite seedless tomato is back uh, grown in Gaston, Oregon by Flamingo Ridge farms. It's a meaty tomato. Uh, and mozzarella is perfect match. So if you're into like a caprese salad, oh boy, think about this. Mozzarella, these beautiful, beautiful tomatoes grown locally, and you've got the perfect summer salad.
1: Well, I'm looking. They have a recipe for tomato, peaches, and burrata on toast. I don't think there's anything better than that. So get get on that. Get to zoopans.com and check out. Click on the Get Recipe prompt uh, on their website. or. If you subscribe to Zoop, to the news feed, they would have sent you an email uh, today, the 21st of uh, July, where you can do that as well.
0: Three locations to serve you. Don't miss out on West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego. And you can always get that information and sign up for the news feed. Where, Chris?
1: Zoopands.com.
0: All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And once again, I'm Court Johnson from, uh, well, Portland Radio, kink.fm.
1: Thank you, Court. That would be the second time in a row that you've introduced yourself. And I didn't. All I did was make the suggestion that that would that perhaps it would be good because you're the you're the professional broadcaster. I'm just I'm just tagging along for this ride. So um,
0: I often I often say, Chris, I'm a professional only because somebody pays me to do it. But I, I do have to say, I mean, I think we're all, uh, you know, victims of this where you fall into habits. So I've come into my custom way of introducing the podcast, whether I intended for that to be the way I always intro the podcast. And, uh, you know,
1: switching things up is good. I think that's what comes from years of being in the radio business. And you learn that uh, if you do the same thing generally that's what people want to hear i've been watching um i don't know if anybody else is into the into cars but i've been watching doug Demuro and his car reviews which are really fun on youtube i started out watching it but i thought he was kind of campy but now i enjoy them as background viewing in my house but he does the exact same thing with every car review he says everything in the same words of course every car is discussed differently but in terms of formatting yeah it's the exact same thing and so i think you know he's determined that this is the way to go not only that his actions are the same when he talks about his cars and bids.com he's got a <laughs> got his cart hands in the air acting like it's the most exciting thing ever so um well i think to that point
0: chris he feels that's that's his comfort zone and then i think you as a regular viewer you've gotten used to it like i said you 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 didn't necessarily appreciate it right away but you now appreciate it because you've gotten used to it and it's what's familiar we should address this this would be a perfect time for us to address this maybe people Uh, Regularly listen to the podcast by it just automatically downloads to whether it's their uh, iTunes podcast, their Apple podcast or their Google podcast. Uh, But those are constantly being updated. And I realized this the other day uh, that my Apple podcast had updated like the biggest change in years. And it wasn't downloading all of my favorite podcasts. So this would be a great opportunity to remind people that they should like and subscribe right at the fork wherever they listen to podcasts and go in there and make sure it's giving them the latest episode because you might have you might have missed out on some. Well, that's true.
1: I got another suggestion. How many times and you're not on Facebook these days, but I see on Facebook people saying I'm taking a trip. What podcast should I listen to? They're looking for recommendations. Don't forget to recommend right at the fork to people because uh, they may enjoy going back in eight years of archives. And you know what's interesting now is if you go back in our archives for eight years, about half of the chefs and tastemakers that we've interviewed are still in the ball game in Portland, and about half—it's sad. Um, but have moved on, not in the business anymore, but it's still interesting to hear those. We try to maintain an evergreen mentality when we choose guests for the podcast and topics so that they last uh, forever and they'd be of interest for, to people years down the road. So anyway, make those suggestions when people ask for podcasts. We would appreciate it, and they may too.
0: That's absolutely right
1: uh so this podcast we're here today oh by the way before we start this thank you i want to thank you so much court for your gesture and your thought in uh giving me that beautiful painting you had commissioned of my beloved dog oakley who passed away last month um it's really i can't believe how this you, i don't know how many photographs you provided to the artist brooke but um she really captured his heart and soul in one little painting.
0: Yeah, um it, you know it was something that um we had done for our dog Roscoe, who passed back in 2019. And you know, I just I, I we we had it commissioned for Roscoe a little bit before he passed away, just kind of knowing that you know what was what was gonna happen soon and wanted wanted kind of that daily reminder. So much, much like yours, Brooke painted this for us. We provided, you know, three or four photos and she, she nailed Roscoe. And so, um, a few months back when you kind of told me that Oakley was, you know, nearing the end of his journey, I thought, you know what, uh, you of of probably all the people I've met here in Portland have become one of my, my, uh, you know, the one of the persons I interact with the most outside of probably people at the radio and the, in my family and, and our relationship means a lot. And so oh, I so felt, Thank you. I, I felt it important that uh, I make this gesture just because that, that painting, again, it's right by our front door. I see it every single day and it's just this daily reminder. So yeah. And, and Brooke, uh, you know, I provide, I think I provided three or four four photos for her and, and uh, I, I think she really nailed it. So that was that I was happy to do that for you, Chris.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And where in the world would you have gotten any photos of Oakley? I can't think, I can't think of that. So um, yeah. they're out there. As a matter of fact, what I never say is I have a fun Instagram, which is at Portland Food ADV. And over the last year, it's been a lot of dogs and coastal stuff because I'm not eating that much. But if you go back again, me, there's a lot of great portland food stuff and international food stuff on there and if you like the coast and you like dogs that's there too i you know i kind of got into this thing of it's mostly a personal thing and so as part of that i eat out i play with my dogs i live on the coast and um you know it's interesting instagram drew grew immensely up until about four years ago and then it's st- it just contracted so they changed all the algorithms and i don't necessarily care how many people are following i just you know i want to share my life and that's a better place than facebook to do it my opinions aren't there so my opinions sometimes show up on facebook or here you know but um but there it's just um it's just fun stuff so um anybody who wants to chat with me or follow that would be cool too not necessary also there's write it there's there's food podcast pdx on Instagram, which people should be following as well.
0: Yeah, and I should and I should say, Chris, that uh, your uh, Instagram account is where they can actually go and, and see that portrait of Oakley. You've you've uh, posted it there, so people can go and have some context about what we were just talking about. They can actually see what Brooke put together.
1: Right, and just for more context, today is July twenty first. So if someone's listening to this. A year from now, yeah, it's July. Go back to my July twenty first, two thousand twenty one. Yesterday would have been Oakley's seventeenth birthday. I was, right. I was really trying to get him there, but at some point I realized this is this is not in anybody's best interest to uh, to push it. So I had told myself all along I'd rather be a little early with making the decision, um, the really hard decision. Then late, and I think I ended up being about five days late, which is pretty good because Mm -hmm. those were the five days it took from the time I called the vet and said, would you mind coming over and uh, helping us with this to the point where it happened. So um, we had a beautiful five last days with Oakley, especially the last two were incredible. And I'm going to come out with this. I'm trying to work on a book of the the experience of getting a young dog, a puppy to bridge the pain, uh, when mortality sets in with an older dog. And I have to say unequivocally, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And, uh, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want to do it. It's probably mostly going to be uh, a picture book with some narrative. And, um, and I think it might be helpful for a lot of people who are worried about that pain that comes about when a dog goes away. So um, and also the joy of owning dogs. Oh, my God. That, it keeps me. Uh, I, I think it's my antidepressant. I'm sure of that. I yep. I don't think it. I know it. So um, dogs playing on the beach. There's nothing like it. And it's one of the reasons I moved out here years ago. So um, at any rate, thanks, Court. I appreciate it. All uh, right. Thanks, listeners, for indulging me in, in that and indulging me in lots. Um, you and I just had a discussion as to whether we should address uh, a conversation during this interview that I have with Catherine who uh, Catherine Benvenuti, who owns and operates Phil's Donuts, which just moved into uh, Lake Oswego. And had uh, started its life uh, in Portland during the pandemic. Um, And we get into a little discussion on tipping because, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I bring it up a lot when it comes to businesses where you're just someone's just taking an order and uh, filling a bag or whatever it might be, uh, the whole tipping process. And I just want everybody to understand I totally understand the labor market and the profit margins and what restaurants are dealing with. But I do think um, it's an issue that needs to be resolved at some point, not today, not tomorrow, but um, I I keep bringing it up and it's not that I'm cheap. However, I only have limited dollars to spend on dining. And um, so it it comes up in my mind when I'm asked to leave a tip and then do things like bust the table and so forth. Because as you mentioned, when we were talking about it, part of going out is you don't want to do that stuff. Right. So, so, um, so uh, but I understand where restaurants need to make it. So it's an issue I bring up uh, here and there. And um, I just want anybody listening to this podcast to know I'm absolutely sympathetic to it and open to discussion on it. And uh, I've discussed it with numerous people and there's a few different ways of looking at it. But the consumers are not necessarily educated as to the challenges restaurants are going through. They hear about it, but they aren't necessarily aware of all the ins and outs. And it's hard for restaurants to communicate that. So uh, to add, I guess. Insult to injury where I thought, geez, do we need to have this discussion again? I took away from some time talking about Catherine personally in her earlier life to talk about it, but I just wanted to address it here because, hey, you and I are talking, and uh, that's what this podcast is about, conversations about the Portland food scene, and that has something to do with it.
0: So so Chris, if I understand this correctly, uh, Phil's Donuts, it, it, that, that, is it Phil's Donuts? Yes,
1: F I L L S. Okay. Yeah, Phil's P D X. If you're if you're doing all the Instagram and website stuff.
0: Yeah, so Phil's Donuts was the was the uh, it started originally in downtown Portland, but now they have a second location, and it's now more than donuts that uh, Catherine's right. doing.
1: And the and the downtown location is no longer open, so it is in Lake Oswego. And so, just to give a little background on this, Catherine Benvenuti. Uh, made a name for herself in California as a a pastry chef, and then came up here with Sean King to Portland to open Bar King, which opened six days before the pandemic. So, um, So that was not a very fortuitous time to open a restaurant. So they had to, as she talks about in the podcast, not only open a restaurant, but open it three or four times. And then uh, her, her prowess at baking caused them to develop the bakery at Bar King, which became pretty popular during the pandemic because that's a little more conducive to takeout. And that became very well known. And in the process, that was a chef's table restaurant. And in the process, our friend Kurt Huffman was encouraging Catherine to start a donut business, which she did with leather, with with Kurt's friend leather stores. And so the donuts were interestingly enough, both sweet and savory. She handled most of the sweet stuff. Leather was handling most of the savory part of the donuts. And uh, he has since decided for personal reasons um, that it would be best for him not to be at Phil's, although he sort of got them on their way towards doing burgers at night. So donuts during the day, burgers, delicious, cheap burgers at night. And so now their their Lake Oswego location is it. And then Catherine uh, is also a partner in all or most all of the stuff in Lake Oswego that Chef's Table just Did which includes the Tasty franchise that used to be owned by the Gorham's. So uh, Chef's Table bought the Tasty name. There's no longer Tasty in Daughters. There's no longer Tasty in uh, Alder. Um, But there is Tasty, and it's in Lake Oswego. And as I understand it, I could be wrong here. There are plans to reopen those once they establish it uh, back in Portland as well. Is that a long enough dissertation on or introduction to uh, this interview?
0: I, th- I think it's a gr- a, a good, uh, what do they call it, the, uh, uh, a preface. Isn't that what they call the things at the start of books, an introduction, and, and then now we can listen to the interview and get the meat meat and potatoes of the of all of this.
1: Right, and it puts some of the things we mentioned in context because we'll throw some names out there and some restaurants, and I think um, it'll help to establish that. But really, I, I didn't know Catherine in, at all. Uh, I had heard from a number of friends that I needed to go to Bar King and never made it in because of not time and distance and pandemic and uh, never made it into Phil's either until i happened to be in lake oswego this weekend and stopped in for a delicious cruller and i'm a cruller person that's my donut of choice and it was fantastic and so it was saturday at about two o'clock and started talking to the person serving me the donuts and it happened to be Catherine, who owns it you wouldn't expect that necessarily that she would be in on a saturday um but she was and uh of course i took the opportunity to say hey we got this little podcast thing would you like to join us and she did so what you're about to hear is the result of that
2: Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022, to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteris of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com.
1: Hello. Hi. Well, how are you?
2: I'm good.
1: (laughs) A pleasant face this morning. Were you you feeling that way an hour and a half ago?
3: Oh my gosh. It's just been a crazy morning. She, my little one, I mean, it's always a crazy morning, so I'm kind of like numb to it. But she um, slammed her head into the corner of a wall last night and has just this giant welt on her head. So she's just been kind of all meltdowns, but I finally got her down for a nap about five minutes ago.
1: Oh, good. I like the fact that you knew at nine 30 that you'd be ready at 1130. So (laughs) um, I was kind of, I was, I find that kind of amusing, but
3: it it is amusing. It's so funny that you say that because I, I think my husband and I both have gotten really good at like predicting when the storm is going to end, you know?
1: Uh, that's good to know. I do that with my, I did that with my puppy on the beach when I knew he was about to jump on someone. I was pretty good at calming that down, but that's a lot different than kids. And how old are you? How old are your kids?
3: I have a two, uh, well, she's almost three. She'll be three August 6th. And then my son will be, um, five just next week, July 25th. Oh,
1: very good. Those are yeah. very easy ages.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Super low energy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you get to, so your days off are or, or Monday and Tuesday. Do you actually get to find any time to yourself a- anywhere along the way? And or are you, do you gravitate towards work on those days too?
3: Um, I mean, I, I've been trying to be just more present with my kids on my days off, especially since my since we've opened Lake Oswego, the whole complex, and um, I'm a partner in tasty. So it's, I'm there for, you know, 70 hours in the five days that I'm on site. So I try to not be working my days off, but yeah, I mean, I'm still responding to emails and text messages and phone calls and, you know, this morning payroll was due. So I submitted payroll this morning. Um, Yeah.
1: So that's a lot. That's a lot to do.
3: Yeah. So, and I found
1: it, I found it surprising that you were in on Saturday when we just happened by after a little lunch at Lardo, we just- Well, what uh, time
3: of day was that? I don't even remember. Pardon me? What time of day was that? Was that like late afternoon?
1: It was, uh, I think it was around two or three.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere so around there. I get in at like three that morning also.
1: Oh no. And then yeah. what time did you get out of there?
3: Um. Probably
1: 4.30. Okay. So the plan at some point is for you not to have to get in at 3 a.m. Yeah. On uh, a well, so that's Saturday morning, yes.
3: Well, we're only two weeks in, you know. Right. So yeah.
1: you're just getting up to speed. However, it's not like you haven't been making Phil's donuts. That has been going on for a while. So you've, yeah. in terms of the recipes and all that. But the procedures I would imagine. And do you have new employees or did you bring those over from, um, from Portland?
3: Well, so we are using the, that former Bar King space, um, as our commissary kitchen. So, um, all of our fillings are made there, all of the doughs made there, which is what we were doing for the downtown location as well. So my staff that was downtown, a lot of them moved to the commissary and then, um, most of the people that are out in Lake Oswego are entirely new employees. I was joking with Kurt Huffman that uh, we're going to have to be a like seasonal restaurant out there because um, all of my employees have to go back to school once high school starts again.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, so you get to start all over again, training everybody. Yeah. Well, that's got to be a little bit of a challenge. So let me see. This is, uh, it's, do you look back and I guess I'd like to talk about how you made it to Portland with with Sean and started barking and all that but if someone had told you uh, in January of 2020 when you were planning barking and putting it all together that oh just so you know 18 months from now you're going to have a your second donut shop, your partner will, in that will have been gone. You're going to be a partner in uh, Tasty, the Tasty franchise, but John Gorham won't even be in town anymore. What, what would you have said to that? Would you have thought someone was absolutely nuts if they suggested that was going to happen?
3: Yeah. Especially because I had, uh, at that point, I had an 18 month old and (laughs) Um but yeah I mean it's totally insane. I would have thought that's so crazy. Especially with Tasty. It just seemed so far out of reach as something that would ever happen. Yeah. Well yeah. I think that and all donuts. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Donuts. yeah. And donuts. And, and donuts and and that yeah. yeah.
1: Did you know leather before when you started Bar King or that was a yeah. Kurt Huffman connection I'm sure.
3: That was a Kurt Huffman connection. Yeah.
1: Right. So yeah. so in that period of time you had a partner to start a new business with yeah. and then, and now he's not, he's not in the business anymore. So yeah. it's pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, I find it enter- you know, I've said to quite a few people that if someone had said that um, John Gorham and Jose Chessa were not going to be in Portland anymore, I would have said, what happened? It was going to be a nuclear, you know, uh, attack or something. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So think about, but it's been up and down for you. It had, I mean, what a crazy year to open an exciting new place. And by the way, I, so I, you know, I live out in Manzanita. So the pandemic happened and I'm hearing about this new spot from everybody. Uh, I have some of my best customers that said, you have to go to Bar King and I never made it in. And then by the time I was planning that boom, gone. Yeah. So, how up? That's really up and down to have planned that, get it up and running. Yeah. And I, the only exposure I had to it was, and since we decided to do this, I went through your Instagram to see how incredibly beautiful and cool the food looked. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, and then close it. Yeah. No time. I mean,
3: the craziest thing about it is we, something that Sean King said so well is opening a restaurant is the hardest thing to do. It's, it, it's so incredibly challenging to train staff to get to the point of being open. And we did that three times with Barking. We opened Barking and then five days later, the governor mandated shutdown, um, happened, but we, we actually closed the day before the mandated shutdown because, um, for a number of reasons, but mainly Kurt, um, came in that night for our first real dinner service. And, um, (laughs) he walked over to loyal Legion and he had a panic attack. He was just like, I can't believe this is happening. People are out and we're packed. Loyal Legion's packed. Parking is packed. People aren't going to stay home unless we do something about it. So all of chef's table closed their restaurants and, um, I hadn't even opened the bakery. I mean, we were going to open that Wednesday and I think we closed on like a Monday or something like that. So we, um, we were devastated. Um, I tried to get onto unemployment, couldn't get on unemployment because I'd been on maternity leave for a year and a half. So I said to Kurt, um, my only option here is to do something out of the bakery to make some money. And, um, So we started doing these brunch boxes and I was doing like four pastries and a fruit cup and two coffees for 25 bucks. And I changed it every weekend. And then we started selling whole quiches and uh, focaccia. Haley Smith, who used to be the head baker at trifecta was helping me at the time. Trifecta is a space that was formerly Bar King. And um, she was so awesome to work with because she just, completely rolled with the punches through it with me and um yeah it was it was totally insane and um we just kept pushing and I think that's what I love about the restaurant industry is that we have gotten beaten down on so hard through this pandemic and like we're just such gritty people you know we're just constantly scraping by and figuring out what next to do and um it's it's surreal, and it feels like a complete dream um, everything that has happened in the last year and a half and it also feels like it's been ten years
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah it's it's like another era coming out of it <laughs> so weird. Do, do you um do you feel you're gonna be stronger better opera a better operator in whatever you do coming out of this or <laughs> it's just nice to know you got through it and it's a and it's a something yeah. for your life going forward that man I swung the big bat and I can handle anything now
3: yeah i think it i think it did a few things to me one i think it made me kind of numb to uh the chaos of restaurants which i think before i held a lot of anxiety towards um, and I think this has made me just feel like, yeah, that's, that makes sense that now there's a flood in the kitchen. Um, and <laughs> you know, you just constantly dealing with new changes, um, and challenges, um, at such a rapid pace, it's, it just becomes a, a normalcy. And then, um, I think it made me far more concerned about my staff feeling like they are a part of a developmental goal within the business rather than just an employee so I you know I have these especially right now it um, feels like oh I have employees who are only going to be with us for a few months but my biggest thing for them is you know these are 16 to 18 year old kids who are going to be going to college soon like the best thing I can do for them is to teach them work ethic by modeling it, you know, and and make them not scared to work in restaurants because most 16 to 18 year olds get so scared of working in restaurants that they don't ever come back or they're so scared of it that they never leave, but they also don't have growth potential because of that fear, you know? So um, I think it was it was one of those moments where the pandemic, you know, so many people were exposed for their poor management. And, you know, I I have empathy towards those poor managers as well because high stress environments make you a horrible human being sometimes. Um, But I really think it showed me that my staff and uh, people in the industry are, there to learn and they're there to make mistakes and they're there to get something out of it. Even if it's just for a month that they'll remember for the rest of their lives, they'll remember how I made them feel. They'll remember how working at Phil's made them feel. And, um, and that's been a huge motivator for me to just not stress about everything being perfect every day and focus more on my staff feeling like they're valued and like, their mistakes were helpful in becoming better at their jobs and me becoming better at my job. You know,
1: it's interesting that you point that out because um, what you're really keying on is growth, and there is no growth unless you learn, and yeah. learning comes from mistakes. So. You have that going on internally, and it sounds like you've, at a very young age, I'm I'm quite a bit older than you and I haven't come to, there are certain realizations that are just popping into my mind. I'm thinking, wow, how did that not come to me years ago? But it's coming to you now. But you're dealing with that internally, and, and you're growing from that. And obviously, I think it sounds like you're going to be a better manager and operator because, if you can deal with those tense situations, you can deal with them. But how did you how do you view? You just kind of alluded to it, being called out for mistakes to the world, right? Yeah. That, that that never happened before. Let's let's say before Yelp,
0: yeah. it was
1: never there. And then Yelp came, and then yeah. you know, we had this 86 list last year in Portland. And I just felt like you just said it. You just said, you know, high stress environments can cause you to be a horrible person. And that's the restaurant industry, not everybody across the board, but boy, for years, that's what the restaurant industry has, um, uh, has had going for it. And for everybody to be called out, do you think there are gonna be changes across the board because of that? I mean, that's like telling everybody, listen, you all have to lose 25 pounds in the next year.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to have to be because people we're in a situation right now where our staff gets to be, uh, they're in, they're in such short, short supply, right? We're, we're desperate for cooks in every restaurant. And, um, I, I just think that we have to realize that You have to treat people a lot better if you want them to stay. Uh, It doesn't matter anymore that you're this really well-known chef and you have all this experience. People aren't interested. in. I mean, when I started out, I was working for free at most places because I just wanted to learn and nobody's interested in doing that anymore, nor should they be, you know, the disparity of wealth is so much greater in this country. And um, it's, Most people that I know are my age are still sharing a apartment with two or three other people because 15 to $18 an hour is still not that much money, even though that's really good money for working in the restaurant industry. You know, we, we work on such small profit margins as a entire industry. So, but
1: I would wonder though, if you were willing to work for nothing just to learn. Yeah. And you're saying that people aren't willing to do that today. Are we going to lose skilled chefs and creative people in the business who don't have the passion, who are just in it to go to work, get a paycheck and go home, rather than people like you who there were so many and still are who just did it because you loved it and hoped that the money would come later or or that you'd be able to make a living. So I just wonder if people don't know who, you know, Sean is or who, who, who uh, you know, Aaron Barnett is and they don't care. Are they going to be able to advance the way people under those people have over the years?
3: I think they are. I, I think that, I mean, we. I think we could look at it two ways and we could point out that, you know, I think you have to have a positive attitude about it, honestly, because I I think this new generation of cooks that's coming up is um, going to be the future of food. Um, and I've been beyond impressed with young people that I've hired um, at Phil's and at Bar King um, that really are extremely knowledgeable about food and, um, have far more resources at their disposal than I had when I started out. And then that Aaron Barnett had when he started out, you know, I mean, um, even things like YouTube, I I wasn't able to watch, uh, chefs, teach amazing techniques on youtube you can literally learn how to decorate cakes by watching youtube videos from skilled pastry chefs that's outrageous to me i mean that's incredible free education and um and then you get to practice it at your home without uh the risk of ruining somebody's wedding day uh in a bakery (laughs) that sounds pretty good um but you know i I think that people can't really work for free anymore. Um, I was able to, I had uh, the luck of being able to do that. You know, I mean, I suppose maybe there's people who have enough um, income saved up or have family members who are willing to uh, pay their rent while they work for free at a restaurant. But you know, minimum wage is practically working for free. Based if you think about your budget, a budget of somebody living, especially in Portland, the cost of food, the cost of rent. I mean, you're just scraping by that wage. Um, it's so hard. But hey, I, you
1: didn't. You didn't work for literally nothing for very long, right? That was just to no. That was uh, just get in the door, yeah. and then you yeah. would hope that either they or yeah. somebody down the street would start paying yeah. you because you knew something.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was certainly illegal, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it, was a, but it
1: was a way in and who was going to report you except, <laughs> except maybe you would have reported them at some point, but, um, yeah. but you, you know, you had a vested interest in doing what you were doing. But, yeah. Uh,
3: I mean, I'll take a green cook with a positive attitude over any person with an ego and a ton of experience, you know? I'd rather train somebody from the ground up and pay them the same wage as somebody that has an ego. It's just, it's so, there's nothing more toxic to a work environment than ego. And, and some of these green cooks have it, but most of them are just so excited to learn that uh, they, they listen so literally to what you say. They do exactly what you tell them to do, you know? And, um, it's, uh, it's exciting to have that young energy that is so passionate about what they're doing and knows so little in a work environment. That's what I loved about stages when I was at a higher level in restaurants and there were young cooks that were coming in and had zero experience and you got to learn from, I mean, they they brought an energy that was so crucial to the kitchen because they had all of the enthusiasm about cooking and they weren't jaded in the slightest, you know?
1: Well, so I'm wondering, I don't know you, and I trust you're saying everything from the heart, but i have heard from quite a few people who have been in the business for a lot of years yeah. that there isn't a great attitude w- amongst younger people coming in and who knows, you know that was before the pandemic so i don't know if yeah. that changed everything but so you're you're touting a completely different uh, line than i'm used to hearing so yeah. i'm just wondering if donuts are more fun and so you've gotten a different crowd than someone who's working at nighttime till one in the morning in a difficult, you know, environment. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm curious about that because I've heard from quite a few people that it's really hard to find good motivated people now.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have not entirely had that problem at all. Actually. I, um, I've heard that also from a lot of people. Um, I feel like um, I can't. I can't speak to what what the people are like that they've interviewed. You know, I didn't interview those people, or maybe I did, and they were just uh, a different character with me. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I do think that you can bring out work ethic in people by modeling it to them rather than demanding it of them. You know,
1: I I think that would be the key. I was, I was going to say maybe they actually made it to the interview with you after they didn't show up for the interview with other people, because that's endemic, you know, that's what you hear. And and, uh, restaurants are having a really, really hard time. Oh, we're having a hard
3: time finding staff. But I will say that the staff we found are great people. You know, I mean at Tasty, the the staff we found are great. There's a lot of green cooks in there with zero experience or very little, but they are super positive, super respectful, wanting to pitch in, wanting to be a part of it. You know, like they, there's still that understanding of what it means to work in a kitchen.
1: And so, are any of the former Tasty people there, uh, I would, yeah, I would think it would help a lot. to have a little bit of a bridge.
3: Yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, uh, Dustin and Nate are sous chefs for Mike Kessler at Tasty. Uh, were former um, sous chefs at Tasty, and um, uh, Dustin went, worked for uh, Toro Bravo for um, Mike for a little bit at Toro Bravo. Um, and, um, all of our service staff pretty much worked at Tasty before and Faye Crosswhite, who's the partner in Tasty, um, she and I worked together in Los Angeles for years and we have a great relationship and she brought on almost all of the former service staff that she had when she was there. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot and it definitely helps. Yeah. Oh, it, I, I mean, imagine. it's crucial. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked if there wasn't that knowledge and understanding of what Tasty was.
1: Right, and not only that, you've got quite a few restaurants in that group to draw from. It's not just it wasn't just Tasty and Daughters and Alder. There was, yeah. as you mentioned, Toro Bravo and some other uh, restaurants that uh, understand how that operated and that how uh, Tasty would operate too. Yeah. So how's it doing over there? Has it has everything? Is the official opening? This weekend, I believe, for everything?
3: It is. It's the 24th. Yeah. Oh, that grand well, that's kind of something.
1: serendipitous that I happened to catch you right before that. This was not planned uh, to jam you on those days, but I guess oh, yeah. you, you hope you're jammed, right? You hope it's yeah. a big party over there.
3: Uh, yeah, we hope it's busy. Um, we're, there's going to be a bunch of free donuts, and uh, there will be alpacas, so you can pet some alpacas and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm honestly, I'm so pleasantly surprised by how excited the community is that we're there and how gracious they've been. And, um, it's really fun to have so many people come in and say, Phil's Donuts, isn't this a franchise? And I'm like, nope, I'm the owner and I'll be taking your order. <laughs>
1: All right, that, was, that surprised me the other day. <laughs> I didn't know, you know what you look like. So I asked for you and that was you serving the donuts. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and it's a little, you know, I've been, I used to live out there and I would not beg, but implore people like Kurt and Rick, who, you know, were good friends of mine. Yeah. To Rick Giancarelli and Kurt Huffman to come out Southwest because I thought it's, there's a nice market out here of people who like food can afford it and don't really want to drive into Portland all the time. Every time they want to, most times they want to go and dine somewhere special. So I'm so glad to see it happening. And I think it'll be interesting because I think the, the people out there, it's a different market. It's yeah. only 10 miles away, but have you found that so far? Have you have you noticed a difference in the clientele that <laughs> came into downtown Portland and Lake Oswego?
3: Well, I mean, I opened in the middle of the pandemic downtown. Um, so it was such a weird time to open anything, let alone a donut shop at the corner of uh, Southwest, 13th in Washington, you know, I mean, that's just such a hard area. And I think what I've noticed about being in Lake Oswego is really just that there's a lot of families, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, downtown, we just didn't get that we would just get a few people who were on their lunch breaks, and um, not a whole lot of families, some but not not a lot. Um, and we actually had a lot of regulars who would drive from Lake Oswego to Phil's downtown for donuts. So it's interesting to see. I didn't know that. Uh, honestly, I really didn't. And then some of them would show up here and they were like, yeah, we've, we live out here. We would just come to get donuts down there. Um, so that's been cool to see a lot of familiar faces. But- and I don't
1: know if it was planned or just... Uh, or you, it just was a great idea because the opportunity was there. But I would imagine it was pretty good to, and of course the the overlaying factor is it was a p- pandemic. But it was probably pretty good to take over Blue Star, which already the space where you didn't take over the business, you took over the space where Blue Star Donuts was, and I, I would imagine that didn't hurt you because people are already used to donuts at that spot.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, we had a lot of people come in and say, Oh, is this blue star? And you're like, no, this is Phil's. And they're like, yeah, but you're blue star, right? Right. (laughs) No, we're Phil's. But yeah, I feel that way completely. And, um, you know, Katie, uh, the owner of, um, blue star, one of the owners, um, she sent, leather and i a bouquet of flowers with a really sweet note that was just like this space was so special for me when we opened and uh, best of luck to you in this space as well um and honestly that really set the tone of positivity for taking over that over that space because i was a little concerned about it um being that we weren't doing we aren't doing blue star in any way and um our donuts are very different from what Blue Star is doing. And Blue but they're, but so they're
1: well unique and special. And any, you can argue this, all right? Uh, anybody can argue mm-hmm. how special Blue Star was or how special, you know, in in they're unique in different ways. But Blue Star, I think, wasn't voodoo. That You know, that was one thing. But Blue Star set the tone for an elevated donut, I think. Yeah. And, and so that's what people were probably expecting. Oh, Phil's may not be Blue Star, but it's going to be something more and also something that's worthy of this price point because, you know, I go back to when a dozen donuts was almost what one is. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. So I w- would think that helped, but I would imagine you also had a little bit of a challenge in saying, yeah, we're doing something different. So don't expect that, but we hope you enjoy what we have.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that especially now that we're in Lake Oswego, introducing the new line of donuts that isn't filled, the crawlers, which are just a fried patechew dough, and the um, brioche rings has really helped us uh, connect to an audience that is used to, um, you know, a grocery store or, um, the donut we all grew up with, you know, a maple bar and a chocolate bar, you know? So, and it, it makes people willing to try the other donuts also, the fills. And they're still our biggest sellers, all of the filled variety of donuts. I mean, we, the Boston cream outsells every donut, on the menu um, which is a classic donut but the technique there is very skilled you know I mean we're making a ganache glaze for that donut and um, we're making a real pastry cream with whole eggs and milk and real butter, I, I mean, it's not, and real vanilla bean and vanilla extract, you know? I mean, the the technique involved for a 399 Berliner is, I'm really proud of that, that we can get that price for the amount of skill and ingredients and technique we're using, you know?
1: I think, um, you know, over the past few years, I've, I, I've had to get used to a croissant, not being a dollar fifty anymore and go and just they yeah. crept up quickly two yeah. bucks, three bucks, four. I just paid five for one yeah. recently, and I've been to France where they're a buck and, mm-hmm. and they're better. <laughs> so, um, so but I've said this quite a bit when when I heard anybody talking about Blue Star and saying, Oh my god, four dollars for a donut, just think of it in terms of a little pastry. That's what it is. It's just it's yeah. called a donut, that's all, yeah, and um. I think I, I, the, the time and trouble and the ingredients that you put into that are absolutely worth it because, you know, croissants are great, but they're not quite as, they're complicated if you do them right, yeah. but they're not, but you've got to come up with different recipes and execute them and find the perfect ingredients. It, there's more to it than what actually went into yeah, it on Monday we'll morning.
3: A living wage, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you have that that too. So I noticed that you have less of the um, savory variety where you're left with the – I looked at the menu this morning. Yeah. mento Oh, God, I wish I would have gotten that the other day just to try it because the sesame seeds on that are what get, get me.
3: Yeah. Rolled in the sesame seeds. Yes. It's really delicious. <laughs> it's really delicious. It definitely has this small cult following, um, but – Yeah, I mean, the main reason why we've cut down on the savory offerings, I mean, other than the fact that they just never sold that well, despite people loving them. I mean, especially when Leather was making all kinds of crazy things. He was doing like a Thanksgiving dinner donut. It was like one of the best things I've ever tasted.
1: Right. But this Um, is a guy who had a, a show on Netflix about, you know. Yeah, smoking, smoking weed and making food. So that every time I saw one of those creations, I was like, "Well, there's leather again."
3: Oh yeah, it just had uh, leather written all over it. it <laughs> um, I think that it would have taken off well had we not been one in the middle of a pandemic, and um, two, just in the location we were in. You know that that area of downtown was pretty hard to get people to go to so um at that time at that time yeah, yeah exactly but you know i mean i i think the biggest reason why we've pulled away from the savory is also that we have our burgers now that start at eleven thirty, and they're on our delicious fried brioche bun and um which is what we also fill with all sorts of pastry creams for our berliner donuts and that fried brioche as a burger is ridiculously good and it's so simple and the price point is so great I mean that's that is all the price point there is all thanks to Kurt Huffman pushing me to really make something affordable if we were going to do burgers and um, well you know, yeah now you've
1: gone from what I the way I look at it and I'm not an expert I'm just an eater you know mm-hmm. I, I eat just like everybody else but you've <laughs> gone from something that Everybody looks at a menu and has to navigate and say, oh, what would that Hopefully. taste like? I don't know if I want that. Maybe yeah. I'll just get a Boston cream to something that everybody absolutely is familiar with. And it's easy to think about. And it's no longer on the higher side. The price It's now on the lower side. Now I can get a burger for what is it? $3.99 or?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's the perfect highbrow brow, um, to me combination because, you know, these donuts are really high end, really elevated. And the, the burger is so simple. Everyone's getting the same burger. Um, but we're still using great ingredients. You know, we, uh, we use organic flour in that brioche dough and, um, the beef we're getting is from country natural. It's Super high quality, entirely pasture raised. It's you know the best beef patty we could buy. Um, but you, you think know, in a,
1: it's a kind of a thin burger? Do you a, think
3: it's a two ounce patty? So, right, you, know, so you can get it, this great price point. And, would
1: it really matter though if you didn't get that? If you didn't get that high quality beef in a two ounce patty, as long as it's a little juicy, and tastes good, I don't know. I'm just. But I think that's great. That's what you do is worry about every detail.
3: Yeah, totally. And like, what does it mean to have it matter? Does it matter in the flavor? Does it matter in how we feel about what we're doing to the environment? You know, I mean, it's like, what is our responsibility as restaurant owners? Is our responsibility to just make food that tastes good? Or is our responsibility to think more holistically about our impact on the environment and um, the you know, the responsibility I have as my own personal brand, people, especially from the bakery at Bar King knew that I was using organic butter and organic cane sugar and all these things. So when we opened fills, it was like, okay, well, how does somebody who has gone that high end do an affordable donut shop and still use quality ingredients, you know, well, so we're not using organic butter anymore, but we're still using European style butter. And, we're not using organic cane sugar, but we're still using unrefined cane sugar. You know, I mean, we made these small tweaks um, that are still high quality ingredients, but made it so easy to make, make a more affordable thing. I mean, we, at the bakery, you know, our sticky buns were $7, um, people didn't bat an eye, but in a donut shop, that's an entirely different story. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't can't have a $7 donut.
1: (laughs) Well, you can, but you have to explain it. And there's not much explaining that can happen, unfortunately. Not everybody has the time to do that.
0: Pausing just a moment here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, Ringside Steakhouse.
1: And speaking of one of our favorite places to eat, we converged on that concept uh, this weekend. Uh, you and I and our significant others, your wife, my girlfriend had a beautiful dinner at ringside and I cannot express uh, strongly enough how nice it was to sit at a beautiful restaurant, order and get wonderful service and eat delicious food and have a great time. I believe if my math is correct, we were there for about four hours. Yeah,
0: no, it, it was, it, it was Definitely four hours, because I was getting text messages from our 13 year old wondering when we were going to get home. And they, my, my two daughters were actually waiting at the front door when Randy and I walked in, <laughs> like, where have you been?
1: <laughs> turnabout is fair play, I suppose. However, yeah. uh, speaking of turnabout, they're back to regular service. Their bar is now reopened and they take reservations and also walk ins uh, at the bar.
0: And because they opened up this great outdoor patio, Chris, uh, that is going to continue through the fall. Take advantage of the summer weather and eat outside. It's an outdoor patio. It's got hardwood floors, has full white tablecloth service. It'll have the same service team, the same menus as indoors, but you're outside and uh, definitely something you want to take advantage of at ringside.
1: They're still offering their prime rib Wednesday special available both in house and to go so you can call in orders for pickup as well as on doordash and caviar or go to ringsidesteakhouse.com or open table to enjoy dinner Wednesday through Sunday at ringside do you think the fact that you're a, a loving mother of young children makes you more concerned with you know I just asked the question as a as a father of grown kids like I yeah. cared. I cared what they ate. I don't have to care what they eat anymore because I have no control over it. I don't even know. Yeah. But do you think that makes you care more about what you're doing to the environment with the food that you are serving than perhaps if I was in your shoes? Yeah. Um, And, you know, I say that because I think when a lot of sustainable practices came about, 10, 15, probably way before that, I mean, Folks like Vitaly Paley have been doing it forever and they did it from the heart. But I think there were a lot of people who were doing it for the PR value because they like to say that in the press releases. Yeah. But now I think it's, you don't necessarily care that it's in a press release. You want it in someone's stomach.
3: Yeah, I don't. And um, it's actually been an intentional thing that I don't promote anywhere on our menu board that we use unrefined sugars and all of these things and that we more just, tell people who are interested when they come in. Um, I do think that me being a mom has something to do with it. I also think that um, the way I was raised has a lot to do with it. Um, those were just values that uh, my mom cared heavily about as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd like my kids to have a, <laughs> a planet Earth <laughs> when they're older. And <laughs> um, I, I think we're heading in a really depressing direction environmentally and the, the little changes we can all make individually are important and also still be profitable businesses you know i mean the reality of it is i can't use 100 percent organic ingredients because that donut would be ten dollars um
1: yeah so but- you started out with that with that goal, and then you had to adjust it as time as you as you ran the business and saw what was. Going I
3: didn't on. have to adjust it with Phil's at all. We started with Phil's knowing what we wanted to do. Exactly. Well, you learned at Bar King. I'm just saying you. Yeah, Bar- but you know at Bar King, totally, we could do that. There, people were exactly as you already said. People are willing to pay $5 for a croissant, but we have a different view of donuts and, um, and we have a different view of burgers as well. And that's, that's been a really fun position to be put in to make these high quality things at an affordable price. Um, because that is a a very big challenge that we, um, all go through as chefs when we, when, when you make the choice to do something affordable, um, or that has this long lasting perception of affordability, you know? I mean, whether it be pizza or, uh, or donuts or ice cream, you know? Well, yeah.
1: if you got me started on, you know, if you, I was just thinking about the fact that I've been telling people over the last few months get ready that the norm for a burger, not yours, but the norm for a pub burger is going to start being $18, $22. Yeah. Because it went up from 12 to 15. Now after the pandemic and everybody's going to have to pay more, that's what it's going to be. And the same thing, I mean, I come from the New Haven area and I just looked recently, a large pizza with almost everything there is $18. Yeah. And out here, now you're tipping over 30 for that same thing.
3: But the best deal in Portland is still at Pizzeria Oto. You can get the uh, happy hour margarita pizza for six bucks.
1: And yeah, well, there, there's... oh, all good. Okay, and Nostrana always had one after nine o'clock. Same thing. Five oh, bucks, I, I love it I don't know if they still have it. Yeah. But, you, but that's, you know, that's searching yeah, and going oh. at nine o'clock. I'm, that's not when you usually want a pizza. My yeah. problem was when I had kids... So when I have little kids in Connecticut, we could feed the whole family for nine bucks, 10 bucks with a large pizza. Okay, that's there has gone up to 18 now. But then I moved to Portland and my kids are teenagers and one doesn't like what I like. Now we're ordering two pies and I'm there for 75 bucks for, yeah. for to go out for pizza. So... I mean that's the way it is. Um, we'll it is, keep...
3: and the cost of ingredients, I mean everything has to go up. Obviously, um, that's just it, especially with things like grains. I mean, flour is almost a dollar a pound if you're going to use high quality flour. You know, is I mean, that I is that up
1: since that. a year and a half ago?
3: Ah, uh, slightly, but beef obviously has gone up tremendously. I mean, dairy butter has gone up a lot. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ingredients that there was a point where our egg buckets, we get whole liquid eggs, um, to make our dough just for the ease of one of my employees, not having to crack, you know, 60 pounds of eggs a week. Um, and it's a really great quality product, you know, and there was a point where it had tripled in price and um, those egg buckets during the pandemic. And you know, there's just stuff like that that restaurant owners had to deal with. And we weren't <laughs> we weren't gonna be raising prices on anything. Not no, at that no.
1: point, no. Not
3: at that point, you're just, I mean you, everyone was just trying to figure out how long they could bleed and some people still are. Uh,
1: yeah. So I don't mean, I don't wanna put you on the spot and you're welcome to tell me, I don't feel like discussing this and not even tell me why. But so long before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I had like at a bagel shop, I was known, not known to everybody, but my friends for, you know, pulling kind of a Larry David and saying, if someone's just putting bagels in a bag and handing it to me, they're turning the thing around and I got a tip line for 20%. Yeah, And I used, my feeling was I can deal with that at a restaurant. Although I started having a problem with takeout and that, Yeah. Um, At the end of the it's not the end of the pandemic, but over the last few months, I started bitching that. Why am I paying the same price that I'm paying to eat in a restaurant for food in a box? There's no dishwasher there. There's no hostess. There's no, you know, and I'm also paying for the tip. And now I'm seeing that I'm asked to clean tables, too, on top of it. So um I just wonder how you feel about that as an operator. You know, you just started a donut shop not long ago. So it's probably something you didn't think about. But as a consumer, how do you you feel about that? My feeling is for the bagel shops and the coffee shops, raise the prices enough to cover that. And don't ask me, make it a positive. We're not asking you to tip. Just do it. Yeah,
3: well, I mean, one would be that, millions of restaurants have tried to do exactly what you said and they failed miserably i mean restaurants
1: uh, that's different than a coffee shop there where the cup of coffee goes from three to 275 to 295 or
3: 310 yeah so that's i mean tipping is optional (laughs) you don't have to tip all right well that's (laughs) the problem i think that your comment uh it it's Unfortunate restaurants have a very unique situation, which is um, we we work. We have a very transient labor force, you know, and um, we also uh, have a very hard time banding together to do anything unilaterally. You know, I
2: mean, right. uh,
3: To say in L.A., we there was a point where restaurants were trying to get rid of tipping. I mean, this has happened since the 1900s. You know, I mean, people have been trying to there have been movements to ban tipping, to get rid of tipping for hundreds of years. And in Europe,
1: they succeeded, but they're going back now. They, They want a little change at the end of the meal.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think tipping is I mean, it's a it should be a six hour segment on your, minimum on your show. I mean, it's just- it, Oh,
1: if you had, we've been here eight years. If you add it up, we've had over six hours on this.
3: It's just a complicated issue. Um, but my biggest thing would be to remember that uh, when we say, why can't you raise menu prices? Well, everyone would have to do that for it to work. Um, anytime any restaurant has tried to be the leader of that, they've always failed miserably. Right. Um, And two, um, you know, we, restaurants work on little to no profit margins. I mean, there's not a ton of money in restaurants. Like if you, our, our goal as restaurant owners, especially in a bakery or donut shop is to have labor be 50% of Sales, You know, so um, when we look at that um, and we say, you know, 40 to 50% labor and um, adding 69 cents or whatever it is when people tip 15% on their donut order or whatever, um, that adds up to a lot of money for our staff that I totally disagree. I think if we made our donuts 450 each, people would lose it but the fact that they get the choice, the personal choice that is so important in this country to so many people to decide whether or not they tip for whatever reason, um, you know, I don't, this isn't something that I study at all, but for whatever reason, people are always willing to tip more when they have the choice, when it's an option. Um, and that ends up being a lot of money for our staff and we are in a really great situation. Um, where those tips are distributed evenly between all staff, because everybody's a part of the service experience in a donut shop. Mm-hmm. So you know i I have cooks who get to make almost thirty plus dollars an hour because of tips, and that's a living wage for a cook. And um, that means that I have retention amongst my staff, you know, and um, yeah, i don't I don't think people would be okay with me just raising the menu prices. Awesome. And then you know, there's other cities where, raising your menu prices, your, well, your rent is based on a percentage of your total sales. And, you know, I mean, there's, it's a complex, complex issue. Um, I don't know. I think Kurt Huffman one time said during the pandemic that if you can afford it, tip 30% because staff's hurting, you know, and restaurants are hurting. So
1: that's a good point. So, and during the pandemic, I heard him say that and others, and so during the pandemic, for me, it was, and this is just me, but easier to go, okay, I, listen, I'm hurting too, but yeah. these people are trying to keep it going. Yeah. But so, my, I guess my question is coming out of the pandemic, and I, yeah. uh, should the restaurant industry figure out its labor issue and not put it on customers to continue to figure out or continue to contribute? And I always say this because, at some point, so I started getting sick of eating out of boxes, yeah. and then at the, when I got sick of doing that, I realized this is not the dining experience. And I've had conversations with a few people who own restaurants, and they agree with me. This is not dining. This is yeah. eating food, yeah. and so for to go in and pay exactly what I paid in the restaurant for that I for that dish, yeah, and then be asked to tip twenty percent on top of that. That was a pandemic thing for me, and I'm a i am i Got over it and said, yeah. "Okay, I'll do that." But now that the now it's not a pandemic, I really wish restaurants would figure that out so I wouldn't have to. It wasn't put on me to think about and think about that part of the equation. Listen, I'm not a. Ba- I'm a good I tipper. When I go to a restaurant is... and I have great service, I yeah. just tipped thirty percent the other night. At uh, you know, at, well, the last two times I went out, yeah, I'm a good tipper. I don't have a problem with that, but I just want to feel like I'm. Getting something for that, yeah. As a consumer,
3: yeah. I mean, i I think it's just a really complicated issue. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts to tipping that um, there's just no one restaurant that could figure that out. And if you think the National Restaurant Association represents all of these individual restaurants, you're out of your mind. You know, I mean. Right. They they don't have the leverage because they've never cared about these small restaurants. Um, so I I don't I don't think there's a network that could really create that for restaurants that would make it. I mean, unless yeah, I mean it's just it's
1: too. Well, it was tried. It, it, it was it, tried it by some really. It was passionately tried by you know, La Pigeon a few years ago, Tasty yeah. John and Renee tried to put the, t- the double tip line on there, yeah. And I appreciate that they were all really trying. I guess my question is coming out of the pandemic now that the prices are probably going to go up anyway. Is that still, it's going to, and it's even more of a problem now because you have heart, you have to pay people more to stay. So yeah. it's a really crappy problem. And I think it's just like consumers for years, you know, when I grew up, gas was 60 cents a gallon. So yeah. we had to get used to this 2 $3 a gallon thing. It took a little while. But we didn't stop driving. Yeah. Anyway, and, but when we, but pe- well, people were looking for cheaper cars. All right, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drag you into this, but it's just something no, that was
3: I don't always really interested
1: in me, especially when it comes to places like donut shops, yeah. and where you're just literally t- t- someone's putting something in a bag. Yeah that, to me is but then
3: you're you're paying the I mean the tip is going to the entire staff is the right. thing you have to remember. It's not going to managers, it's not going to me, it's going directly to the entire staff. And um I yeah, and I've seen I mean,
1: that covered. I've seen that covered at the register. And I think it's it's really important to know that it's not just you're not just tipping that person right there. And I think in my head I am. That's because because
3: I do too. I mean, I'm guilty of exactly what you just said. I went into flying fish the other day and um, the person working, i just bought a piece of salmon. The person working the register said, he said it really fast, optional gratuity. It goes to our fishmongers and I didn't hear him say all of that. And I selected no tip. And then I came back and I said, Hey, did you just tell me that that tip goes directly to the fishmongers? And he said, yeah, it does. And so then I bought something else so I could tip directly to the fishmongers. and um,
1: That's a Larry David moment, if I've ever heard one, when you come back. Oh, you didn't want to tip me, but... (laughs)
3: What what did you contribute to this experience? I agree with you. However, I know how hard it is to be a skill set like a fishmonger um, where you are, you have to have so much experience to work in that position. And um, that still is a typically minimum wage position. And it's not because the restaurant doesn't care to pay their staff more. It's because people are not interested in paying any more for salmon than they're already paying. But some people are okay with tipping. And I mean, I think that's the challenge of it is as restaurant owners, we want our staff to make more. And so, and tipping allows for that in a way that people feel like they have the freedom to choose whether or not they're going to do it, which they do. I mean, my staff's not going to not serve you the next time you come in, if you didn't tip them, they, they truly do not care. And the reason why they truly do not care if some of those people don't tip is because the vast majority of people tip very well. And that's and and i don't even i think even if everyone tipped 5% i think they'd still be happy. i'm not asking you to tip 5%. i mean tip as much as you can because it goes to hard working people who um suffer um from the inequities of our system as a whole, you know? um
1: right and i, I that's an, a whole education job that nobody can tackle because it's been tried it's been tried to say, you know, your, your pork shop should be $45 because yep. of all that goes into it and everything yeah. that it takes.
0: Well, and I, I,
1: cool. listen, the crazy thing is, is I've been listening to this. I've been in the middle of these conversations and I yeah. know a lot of people and I still am thinking, okay, that was a $2 cup of coffee. I feel like here's my problem. I can't write 25 or, or 50 cents. I got to do a buck. So now the $2 cup of coffee is three bucks. And that's where I say, I just wish it was three bucks. So I didn't have to think and and be put in that position. And that's all all I'm saying. But I've also told myself, um, no one's listening to this to hear how I think, but I've also told myself many times, shut the fuck up and just stop thinking that way and do it. But it keeps coming
2: back. (laughs) Yeah, I think
3: it's a complicated issue. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I mean, like you said, a pork chop costing should be $45. Well, I love that when you read like setting the table by Danny Meyer, and he talks about his prices decades ago on his menu, he was charging $37 for a piece of halibut. And you go to a restaurant and they're still charging about that same amount for a piece of halibut. So we have we've barely elevated our prices for fine dining in these um, environments. And um, the cost of everything has gone up tremendously. So including wage for staff, you know,
1: so. So I'm I'm sorry because I looking at the clock here and I took up time talking about tipping when I wanted to hear about your donut experiences (laughs) as a child. Can you quickly tell us what, what some of your early donut experiences were as a child?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think they were like most people's early donut experiences where, um, I would go on the weekends to a donut shop with where I lived in, I grew up in Sacramento, California and, um, Sacramento had great donut shops, you know, all little mom and pop shops. And, um, I would say that I tired very quickly from donuts because I always found them to be really overly sweet and overly greasy. And, um, I, I loved pastries. Um, I was always a fan of, um, something that wasn't as sweet and was more buttery and, um, opening fills was a really great opportunity for that, that the whole idea started because, when I was running the bakery at Bar King, um, Kurt loved the Berliner that I was doing and said, you've got to open a donut shop. We should open a donut shop. And you're, you know, you're just doing these. This is the best thing on the menu. And um, I always thought that was so funny that he thought that was the best thing on the menu. But you know, now it's the only thing that's left of the bakery at Bar King. So.
1: Well, I and mean, he also thinks in terms of what's going to sell.
3: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's an easy sell. It's approachable. And that's truly what I love about donuts is um, they are so easy for people to understand. Blue star has made it easy for us to charge an appropriate price for donuts um, that are handmade. And um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you can put, like we were doing at Phil's, you can put matcha and raspberry together, or you can put yuzu and peppercorn together, all of these things that you would do in a fine dining restaurant on a dessert menu, but not have it feel pretentious to people. And that is something that's so important to me It's important at the bakery at Bar King, it's important to me at Phil's, I There's nothing I dislike more than people walking in and feeling like what we're doing is pretentious.
1: Well, on top of that, with the donut, you've got this perfect delivery vehicle. So meaning that they can start to eat it on their way out the door, which is what most people I'm sure do in their car. And it's gone in no time. Whereas a pastry generally is a, let me get somewhere and sit down and put it down and, and eat it. So, um, yeah, no, it's a, uh, you know, mine, how come we don't have Dunkin' Donuts here? I've never know. asked anybody that question. Do you have any idea why Dunkin' hasn't permeated the Northwest?
3: Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe, uh, maybe because of places like Voodoo and Blue Star, they just never thought it'd work. I mean, I love that there's so few large franchises in Portland in general.
1: Um, right, but so some, Duncan is so big, they wouldn't care. They, wouldn't, they would just yeah. like McDonald's. Although, you know, you look at downtown Portland, the fast food places have not permeated downtown because they say, not well, cool. we got to go in the suburbs. And yeah. now you guys are going to the suburbs. So that's going to be interesting to see what shakes out with some of those franchises. Oh,
3: totally, especially in this Mercado Grove complex. I mean, that would have been in, in any other city, I feel like just a bunch of chain businesses going in there, you know, a bunch of franchises Um, you would have seen like a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or, you know, uh, Starbucks. And I love that it's all of these independently owned restaurants and coffee shops. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, it shows how much Portland cares about community and it's a huge reason why I moved up here from Southern California and a huge reason why I've, stayed through this pandemic is because of the community support.
1: Well, you, you found some, some good ideas and some good people too. And, you know, I used to live in Lake Oswego 10 years ago. So I moved here in 2005 and you just drive down Cruiseway and Boone's Ferry and, oh, it's changed so much. And I think about the fact that my go-to place with my kids was, I don't know if it's still there, Gubank's. Family, it's a grill right there on Boone's Ferry I'd be curious oh, and yeah, then Giant Burger was pretty big and I saw the other day that's still there so um, but it's you know to to see Portland's food scene make its way there is really cool and it's uh, it shows that times have really changed so
3: um,
1: I'm excited for you all for and I'm excited for the people in Lake Oswego many of whom you know I lived there, I didn't get to know a lot of people. Some of them really pissed off my my son and made his life miserable at Lake Ridge High School. So, um, but on the other hand, for you all, I think it makes so much sense. And uh, look, just look at it. You're not in downtown anymore dealing with that. Yeah. Hopefully downtown will come back, but that's, that's gonna take a while. You went somewhere where everybody's gonna be, res- you're you're going to be well-received and you don't have to worry about your car being trashed while you're in work right now.
3: Yeah. Or putting out a fire on my way into work at three in the morning.
1: Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So that was, that was not in your training to be uh, in the restaurant business that you're going to have to put out actual fires, literal fires.
3: Just not outside. Right. Not outside,
1: (laughs) inside. All right. So, um, uh, I look forward to coming down again. What should I, you know, I feel like, um, when I was there the other day, I thought you were sold out of crullers and you weren't. So I was so excited about that. And we just ate at Lardo. So there wasn't much room left for five donuts, but yeah. what should I have? I mean, I looked and there were so many that looked really good. What if you, obviously it's all, it's up to someone's taste.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: what would I had, If you had Anthony Bourdain coming in to the restaurant, what is it that you'd want to serve him? That's a, that may be a terrible example right now, but he's my he's he was my guy. So.
3: Yeah. Totally. Me too. I Love him. Um, I think that the maple bacon butterscotch is really delicious, and um, I know that Anthony Bourdain made that maple bacon bar pretty popular from Voodoo. So. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that one. We're using a real scotch in the custard. So, you know, you get <clears throat> a lot of flavor out of the custard itself. And then there's a maple ganache on top and applewood smoked bacon. And it's super well balanced and hard to say if it's more savory than sweet. And I love the Boston cream pie. And I love our seasonal options too. Like right now we have the Marionberry Berry cheesecake, um, the apricot jelly, those are Baird family orchards, apricots that we're using, you know, I mean, we're mm. using great quality ingredients in these simple donuts. Um, and that's what I love so much about what we've been able to do with Phil's. Yeah. Just, looking,
1: my, at, just yeah. looking at the menu is you want to try everything. And of course I love the egginess of that, um, of that the French cruller. The cruller is oh, so me good.
3: too. Yeah. It's like and you a- really
1: you really executed it because my original experience with crullers literally goes back to Dunkin Donuts. And that was my donut of choice there. Yeah, and me too. They-
3: That's my
1: Dunkin Donut of choice. Right. And I think they went downhill over the time and then moving out here. OK, you know who the only one I could find without going into Portland because I lived in Lake Oswego was going to Safeway. And boy, did that end up being really shitty after a while to the point where it's like, no, I can't even do this. I'm not even gonna give it any, um, uh, any leeway. So uh, I wish you were closer. I wish you would come out and pop up on the coast. That would be kind of fun. We have that nothing. would be fun. Yeah, we, have, we had a fairly decent bakery out here and then that closed, so. Um, what bakery was that? Well, and Ocean was in Manzanita. Okay. I didn't love their bread, but some of their other pastries were pretty good, Um, but that closed. And uh, now we've got a few people serving some pastries. I don't know where they get them, but hey, you you need a wholesale salesperson to get out here. And then on top of that, you need someone to be delivering every day, which is forget that that's not gonna
3: happen. (laughs) Yeah, we'll just charge $15 per donut. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you don't have enough, you don't have enough restaurants out here to make it.
3: No, I know, but I love Manzanita. It's so beautiful out there. Maybe I'll retire in Manzanita.
1: (laughs) Well, that was my plan. And I ended up here before I retired. So um, (laughs) I will just say that I think uh, two things. I'm healthier. I, you, you wouldn't look at me and think that's a healthy guy, but I've lost quite a bit of weight walking on the beach and not eating uh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, my dog just today would have been his 17th birthday and he made it to 16 years, 10 and a half months. But I think the coastal life kept him alive and my other dog uh, for an extra three years. That's worth something, right? Do you have dogs? Are you
3: yeah we have one dog what do you have two kids we have a pit bull lab mix beautiful how old he's almost two
1: okay so if you can get out here by 2030 2031 and figure out your life that that dog will live till 15 16 17 years years old
3: yeah perfect
1: well good all right well listen (laughs) i sincerely appreciate how gracious you were on saturday to agree to this, you didn't even know me. So to agree to this a couple of days later and uh, come on and spend more than an hour, I really appreciate it and it's been a delight. So um, thank you so much. And you just, you you know what, you have, uh, my day was kind of quiet and I had a few strange things happen. Uh, Your smile lit up my day. So I'm sure that makes its way into your food too.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. I hope people feel that way.
1: Well, it does. That's why you're doing well. So uh, keep up we'll the good work it. and uh, we'll see you soon.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Chris.
1: Thanks.
3: All right. Bye.
2: Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at Right dot com.